Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 22. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 22. As we're going through this series here, we're going through the series of the lineage of Jesus Christ, tracing Jesus Christ and his lineage from Adam to Jesus Christ through the kingly line. And in it, there are 64 different generations. And we're trying to do a quick study on each one of them to learn about the family tree of Jesus Christ as an interesting way of studying the Bible, studying Bible history, and to learn more about who Jesus Christ is. And we find our way to the book of 2 Kings in chapter number 22. The book of 2 Kings chapter 22. And if you don't mind, let's start together in verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 22 and in verse number 1. The word of God says this. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign and he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adaliah of Bosketh. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of David his father. And turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. That the king sent Shaphan the son of Azaliah. The son of Meshulam the scribe to the house of the Lord saying. Go up to Hilkanah the high priest. That he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. And let them deliver it to the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the doers of the work, which is in the house of the Lord, to repair the breaches of the house under the carpenters and builders and masons, to buy timber and hew stone to repair the house. In Second Kings 22, we're in verse number 7. Howbeit... There was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. And Helkanah, the high priest, said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Helkanah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work and have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying, Helkanah the priest have delivered to me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Helkanah the priest and Hakanah uh, the son of Shaphan and Akbal the son of Mekanah and Shaphan the scribe and Asariah the a servant of the king saying go ye inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of the book that is found for great wrath 
Great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto that which is written concerning us. So Helkanah the priest and Achim and Akbar and Shaphan and Ashaliah went unto Hudalah the prophetess, the wife of Sula, the son of Tikva, the son of Haras, keeper of of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they communed with her. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me. And thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even of all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me and have burnt incense unto other gods, that they, may that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which have sent you to inquire of the Lord. Thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, As touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the habitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I have also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, Therefore I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. And thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I have brought upon this place. And they brought the king word again. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Kings chapter 22? The book of 2 Kings chapter 22, and notice with me if you don't mind the phrase in verse number 8. 2 Kings 22 and verse 8, I have found the book. I have found the book. And with the Lord's help, we want to talk about Josiah tonight. And we're going to see him as we examine him. Maybe we could just call him this, the reformer king. Josiah, the reformer king. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we study the life of Josiah, let us see here the emphasis that you're getting across here, that we can apply it to our own lives, to those that we love around us, those that may be in here, that we could get the across, that it's a matter of the heart. I'm asking that you would again just help us as we study this, that we can learn more about you and whom you are. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now as we come to Josiah, we now come to a very important king found within Israel. If you remember the history, we had King Hezekiah who raised the bar high up. So that way the rest of the kings were measured to King Hezekiah. However, in his last 15 years of life, he stopped placing the emphasis of being a parent. And he said this, as long as there was peace in my days. And so he allowed his son Manasseh to grow up very differently. And remember that Manasseh was the longest reigning Judean king, but he was also the wickedest Judean king. So much so that God had put him captive in Assyria and allowed him to come back after he turned to the Lord, but it was a little too late. And as Josiah was born, Manasseh was king for four years of the first four years of Josiah's life. Then Manasseh died. After that, 
uh, Manasseh had a son by the name of Ammon. Ammon ruled two years, but he was so evil that he was assassinated. And now you have King Josiah, eight years old, now the king of Judah, and he has big shoes to fill. Will he follow after his great-grandfather Hezekiah? Or will he follow in the footsteps of his grandfather Manasseh? What is the choice? What is going to happen? An eight-year-old child has all of this pressure on him. What is he going to decide? Well, if you don't mind, let's examine Josiah's life. And the first thing I want to show you is restoration without revelation. Restoration without revelation. Now, Josiah grew up in a land where the Bible had once been the supreme book, but not anymore. You looked around and you could not find a copy of God's Word. It had been buried. At this time, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, had been written and had served as the constitution of the nation of Israel. Job had been penned. Joshua, Judges, and Ruth have been written. The two books of Samuel had been canonized. The first book of Kings has been finished. Joel, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, and Micah had come and gone. Isaiah had given his book, the Bible in miniature. One of the greatest prophetic books in the world has been penned. David had written half the Psalms. Solomon had written three books. More than half of the Old Testament as we know it has already been made available during Josiah's time. God had given the people the book. It was smaller than what we have today, but it still had divine authority over temporal and eternal matters. People should have been able to go to the book. But in fact, this book had been neglected and set aside. Josiah, uh, the first thing that he had was um, taking this reign here and trying to rule with just counselors. Somewhere during this next 10 years of his ruling, Josiah rejected the path of his father and his grandfather. The thing is, is that he did not have a Bible. But he knew enough that there was something wrong with the current system. Isn't that true? That sometimes children can be very discerning that something's not right here. Something's wrong here. I don't want to go through this. He looked at his dad, looked at his grandfather and said, nope, I don't want this. I don't know what we should have, but not that. And so he did the best he could with just trying to know what was right and wrong from what he saw. But in, in spite of the pagan influences, he still did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 2. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And walked in all the way of David his father. And turned on his side to the right hand to the left. Maybe it was his mother that influenced. Perhaps there was a young preacher by the name of Zephaniah who influenced him. We do know that one day he met a like-minded young man his age. By the name of Jeremiah. These between Jeremiah and <coughs> Zephaniah, these were good influences in his life to try to influence him what to do. Now Josiah was 18 years old and he decided it was time to rebuild the temple in order to honor the Lord. As they began the process, all of a sudden an important discovery was made. Notice with me in verse 8. And Helkaniah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, 
I have found the book in the law of the house of the Lord. What had happened is that Josiah said, you know, this temple here, it was dedicated to the God of heaven. You know what? Let's repair it. Let's fix it. Let's, let's have a love offering. And so a love offering was given. And by the way, the people did what was right. The priest did what was right. That they didn't even have an accounting of it. It was just people saw they were doing what was right. And so as they're refurbishing and redoing the, the temple... One day the, the priest says, hey, look, I think I found something. It's been buried in all this rubble and ash and put aside. We found it up in the attic. But guess what? They dust it off and say, you know what? I think this is important. And they look and it's the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so the priest reads it and says, look, and he started reading it. And he said, this is amazing. This is, this is something we didn't know. Let's bring this to the king, Josiah. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 10. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king. Hey, king, look, we found the book. We've been looking for it. We found the book. Saying, Helkanah the priest delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law. He rent his clothes and immediately starts making changes. So think about this. Here's the king of Judah. He's 18 years old now. He's been ruling without a Bible. But yet he has a hunger for biblical things. He has a hunger to do what's right. And it just so happens that. When he's 18, they're redoing the temple. That they find the book. They find the first five books of Moses. And they come out and say, Josiah, you need to hear this. And he read out loud to the king all five books. Some of you say, I can't have a hard time reading the Bible. Could you imagine that? To sit there. The preacher, you say, the preacher preaches too long anyways. Well, what if the preacher just took and just read the first five books of the Bible to you? You know what? That was enough. He didn't need commentary, didn't need preaching. He just needed to hear the word of God. And it was enough. And the king says, that's it. And he rips his clothes and says, we're in trouble with God. God has given us his rules and we haven't obeyed it. Let's return to God. Let's get back to him. And so he sends th uh, replies and he says, I need to get a hold of God. I need to know what God would have me to do. And they get a message and they send it back to the king and said, listen, God's still going to destroy Judah. But guess what? Because your tender heart, because you responded to God's word, because you obeyed God's word, because you wept for God's word, you're going to die in peace and God is going to give you time to rule and you're going to have a great reign because you were willing to listen to the book. Something happened that day. Now again, we see the very first part of Josiah's reign is that for 10 years he tried to have... Uh, restoration without revelation. He tried to do it without the Bible. But as soon as he found the Bible, it changed everything for him. They found the book. Let me tell you, someone could try to live their life and try to turn over a new leaf and try to do what's right. But let me tell you what's really going to change when they find the book. When they find the book. When they get it into themselves. It's going to change things permanently. It's going to change things spiritually. It's going to change everything for them. When they find the book. They need the book. As we go on with Josiah's reign. We see something else. We see reformation without revival. 
reformation without revival. Now Josiah is the king and he wants to do what's right. And so as he starts studying the Bible for himself, he recognizes, you know, there's plenty of things that we're doing that's not right. I'm the king. I have the responsibility. And so I'm going to lead the people to do what's right. And so the first thing that he did was have the people gather together and let them hear the Bible for themselves. Notice with me chapter 23. Chapter 23 and verse 1. And the king sent and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priest and the prophets and all the people both small and great and he. Notice that he there. That's the king. You know, the king didn't say, well, I'm too important to read the Bible. The king himself took the word of God, went before all the people, and he read the word of God to them. Again, we're seeing the power of God's word that the king didn't preach to them. He just read the book. And the Bible was enough. He read the book. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimony and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And the people stood to the covenant. Now, Josiah's heart was changed and he wanted everyone else's heart to change. So he read the book and he was expecting the same thing to happen. But unfortunately, the people just tolerated the Bible. They didn't understand what all this fuss was about. Why is he making this big deal about the Bible? But for the king, it was real. It was real. And following the Lord, he used his influence to make political change. Now, When someone finally allows the Bible to change them, it is an amazing change. But for most people, they look and say, why is this such a big deal? We've got people who show up to church every now and again. Why is it such a big deal? We got people that listen to us talk about, well, are you reading the book? Why is it such a big deal? It is a big deal. It is a big deal. When God changes you, there's nothing like this. When the book changes you. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who profess Christ, but they don't know what it is to have that relationship with Christ, that fellowship with Christ, that intimacy with Christ. And they look at everyone else and they go, huh, well, that's good for you. And they don't understand the importance of it all. How do we know? Because we're on a Wednesday night and we don't see a lot of people. Why? Because they don't see the importance of it. It's nice to do and it's nice to whatever else. But when you fall in love, you understand this is a matter of the heart. We go to church not because it's something nice to do and it's not just a tradition. It's because we found the book. And God's important. And this is important. And it's life changing. And it's wonderful. Now again, Josiah, his heart has changed. And he wanted everyone else to change too. Because he is the legal authority, he uses his influence to change things politically, hoping that the outside changes would stir an inside change. That doesn't necessarily work. You could put an old coat of paint on an old barn, but it's still an old barn. There has to be a change in the inside out. But he did what he did, thought was right. 
trying to work and trying to change the outside. Notice some of the things he did. First of all, he cleansed the temple of Jehovah. He cleansed the temple of Jehovah. Notice with me verse 4. And the king commanded Helkanah, the high priest, and the priest of the second order, and the keepers of the door, to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal, and for the grove, and for the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron, and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. So, first thing he did is he cleaned house. If it doesn't belong in the house of God, let's get rid of it. Let's take it out. If it serves another God, if it's not for God, let's get rid of it. And he cleansed it. Not only did he cleanse it, he took it out back and he burnt it. Then he took the ashes and he carried it out to a different town. Notice what he did. And verse number five, and he put down the idolatrous priest. Uh, that's a kind of way of saying he killed. <laughs> He got rid of them. Who the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places and the places around Jerusalem and also them that burned incense to Baal and the sun and the moon and the planets and to the host of heaven. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord. Now we've talked about the grove before. That the grove was a uh, place where people would perform sexual acts in worship to their gods. Notice where the grove was. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord. You know how horrible things had gotten? It got to the place where people were worshiping their gods in, uh, sexually inside of the house of the Lord. It's amazing what people will do and what people mix in. Do you know there's an actual such a thing today called Christian pornography? That's an actual thing! What happened is that people are mixing all of this stuff together and there needs to be a cleaning of house on a lot of lives. This stuff does not mix and it needs to be removed. They removed the grove from out of the house of the Lord without Kidron in the brook Kidron and burned it in the book Kidron and stamped it to small powder and cast the powder upon the graves of the children of Israel. So what he did is he got rid of paganism. Then he got rid of the pornography. And then he got rid of the perverts. Verse number 7. And he break down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord. Where the woman wove hangings for the grove. And so he got rid of the Sodomites who were living by the house of the Lord. That's a phrase that's saying they're actually right on the house of the They're on the property. And he got rid of them. He's cleaning house. So he cleansed the temple of the Jehovah. Then he cleansed the, the tribe of Judah. Verse number 8, chapter 23, verse 8. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burnt incense from Gibeah to Beersheba and break down the high places, the gates that were entering in the gates of Joshua, the governor of the city that were on the man's left hand at the gate of the city. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places came not to the altar of the Lord of Jerusalem, but they did eat of the unleavened bread among their brethren. Now, jo Josiah destroyed the high places of the false worship. He tried to destroy the old religion, but the priests were still steadfast. Again, what we're seeing is that he's changing the activities, but he's not changing their hearts. They still, we want to serve our other gods, but you're king, nothing we can do about it. They understand that they have to be compliant, but they're not submissive. Fine, you go ahead and get rid of it, but you're not taking bail out of my heart. They still have that heart. Again, 
If you've never written this down, maybe you want to put it down on the side. You cannot legislate morality. You cannot legislate morality. You can't change the laws to change someone's heart. It doesn't work that way. Now, there are times that laws need to be changed because it's right. But it doesn't change people's hearts. You could outlaw abortion, but it doesn't change people's heart. You could outlaw drinking, but it doesn't change people's hearts. You can make certain rules about this and that, but it doesn't change the heart. The thing that, Matt, that lasts is when they're changed from the inside out. When God gets a hold of their heart and it changes from the inside out. That's the difference between reformation and revival. So we could see here that Josiah is cleaning this up politically. He's making laws. He's putting things. But we could see already now it's not changing their hearts. They're just mainly tolerating. The old religion's still there. It's just buried right now. It went underground. But he started by cleansing the temple of Jehovah. He started to cleanse the tribe of Judah. Then he started to cleanse the town of Jerusalem. The town of Jerusalem, verse number 10. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom. Now remember, we've explained this a couple times now, that to the south of Jerusalem is a little valley called Hinnom. And in this Hinnom was the trash pit where people threw their trash for centuries. And as the trash pit got higher, they began to burn their trash. And then to some amazing thing, someone got the bright idea, let's worship a false god by building this image of the false god and putting a slide during its open mouth and let's take our newborn babies and roll them down the slide into the burning mouth of this false god, killing our children. And remember we explained uh, even more on Sunday that they had the banging of the drums. The toffet means the banging of the drums for the purpose of drowning out the cries of the babies who were perishing. And notice what he did, verse 10. And he defiled Topheth, meaning this whole area where they'd been sacrificing their children, which is in the valley of the children in him. Why? That no man might make his son or daughter to pass through the fire of Moloch. By the way, was that a right thing to do? Yes. Was that a thing? He said, no, I'm going to wait till they change their hearts so they don't want to do it no more. No, that was something that needed to be done whether their hearts right or not. That was something that needed to be taken care of. We'll work on their hearts later, but we got to stop the children being killed right now. Notice it goes on verse number 11. And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the son at the entering of the house of the Lord. Notice this. It's again attached to the house of the Lord. They actually had horses that were dedicated. Remember that in Greek mythology, in ancient mythology, that they believed that there was a chariot driver who would actually bring up the sun during the day with his chariot and bring him down. And so people would dedicate horses to the sun so that way they could take their turn of carrying the sun through the sky every day. And they also put it in the house of God. Hey, don't you want to celebrate the sun? Sure. So we'll have this special stable for the horses. No, that doesn't belong in the house of God. Notice as it goes on. By the chamber of Nathanlik, the chamberlain, which was in the suburbs, burnt the chariots of the sun with fire. Isn't that kind of um, uh, irony right there? These chariots that were dedicated to carry the sun in the sky, he burnt them with fire. Just to make sure that they couldn't be used again. Verse number 12. 
And the altars that were on the top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah made, and the altars of Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Once again, they're all in the house of God. Did the king beat down and break them down from thence and cast the dust of them in the brook Kidron? And the high places that were before Jerusalem that were on the right hand of the mount of corruption, which Solomon the king had built it for Ashtaroth, the abomination of the Zidonians. By the way, Ashtaroth is the same goddess as um, Aphrodite, as Venus, as Ishtar, which we get our holiday Easter from. That's Ashtaroth. And by the way, God calls it abomination. Notice it goes on. Uh, this fertility goddess. And for Chemish, uh, the abomination of the Moabites, and Melcom, the abomination of the children of Israel, or Ammon, did the king defile. And he broke in pieces the images, and cut down the groves, and filled their places with the bones of men. He is cleaning house in the town of Jerusalem. You could almost hear the people saying, Listen, you're destroying our culture. Solomon built that. Manasseh built that. Ammon built that. You're destroying our culture. You're destroying our history. He says, No, they're destroying the hearts of men. And they need to go. They need to go. You could imagine how much fight he had to do with some of these people. They were upset. But they were worshiping false gods inside of the house of the Lord and around it. They needed to be cleaned up. So he started by cleansing the temple of Jehovah. Cleansing the tribe of Judah. Cleansing the town of Jerusalem. Cleansing the territory of Jeroboam. Jeroboam ruled the, the northern kingdom of Israel. Notice with me in verse 15. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, had made, both the altar and the high place he broke down and burnt the high place and stamped it to small powder and burnt the grove. You can imagine all the environmentalists. Look at how many trees he's burning down. Verse number 16. And Josiah took himself, or turned himself, and he spied the sepulchers which were it there in the mount, and sent, and took the bones out of the sepulchers, and burned them upon the altar, and polluted it, according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, which proclaimed these words. Now, that's a story you could read for yourself in 1 Kings 13. But when Jeroboam first set up this false idol, God had a man of God come up and say, listen, God is not happy with this. God is not pleased pleased with it. And from the very beginning, God tried to warn, warn Jeroboam. And now all these years later, the word of God through the man of God at that time came true. And they were all burnt upon the altar and defiled. Verse number 17. Then he said, what title is that that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the sepulcher of the man of God which came from Judah and proclaimed these things that have been done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone. Let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone and he came to the bones of the prophet that came out of Samaria. And all the houses of the high places which were in the cities of Samaria which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger and Josiah took away and did to them according to the acts that he had done in Bethel and he slew the priests of the high places that were upon the altars and burnt men's bones upon them and returned to Jerusalem so here's Josiah he goes up to the northern 
kingdom. Now remember the northern kingdom was destroyed in, by Assyria in 722 BC. This is now in the 600s. Assyria has already destroyed. There's no more northern kingdom. So he waltzes up to the northern kingdom and starts going to the graves and said, listen, was this a good guy or a bad guy? Oh, he hated God. Burn him. Dig him up. Take his bones. Burn him. What about this guy? Oh, that guy hated God. Oh, take him up. Burn him. This guy over here. Oh, that was the man of God who came. Leave him alone. He's good. And so he was even carrying the territory of the nation north of him. Trying to make sure that he was as right with God as possible. Now Josiah, he's doing everything humanly possible to make the kingdom he has right. But again, we're seeing this idea that Josiah, he had reformation without revival. Which brings us to the last thing. There was religion without regeneration. There was religion without regeneration. In chapter 23 in verse number 21, the king went to the book again, verse 21. And the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover unto the Lord your God as it is written in the book of this covenant. Surely there was not holden such a Passover in the days of the judges that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the king of Israel, nor the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, wherein the Passover was holden in the Lord uh, in Jerusalem. So here he is. He goes ahead and says, you know what? We haven't observed the Passover. A special holiday God had set aside to remember God delivering the people out of Egypt. And he says, listen... Since there's been kings, no one's helped to it. We haven't done it since the period of the judges. We haven't done it since the kings. Don't you think we should go back and obey the Bible? And the people's like, sure, if that's what you want. Okay, sure, let's have it. Now he's excited. But everybody else who's observing it, okay, if that's what we should do. You know, the same thing's true. Even observing the New Testament uh, ordinance of the... Um, Lord's Supper. Just because people take the Lord's Supper, does that make them magically right with God? Not at all. Can they participate it and not even like God? Can they participate in the Lord's Supper and not even be saved? They can. And so here we have this principle here. That religion without regeneration doesn't help. That Josiah, he's trying to do everything he can. But there is a difference between reformation and revival. Reformation is changing the rules, changing the things, trying to do what's right legally. But what we need, even as a nation today, is that we don't need more laws. We don't need better laws. We know that they can help, but that's what's not needed the most. We need revival. We need revival. What is revival? It is God pouring out His Spirit to a people that has prepared their hearts to obey Him. You understand it is a matter of the heart. It doesn't matter what type of church service we have. If people don't want to be here, are they going to get anything out of the church service? No. It doesn't matter how many doors we knock on. If the pe people don't want to hear, is it going to do them any good? Not at all. If we can make certain rules that you have to dress this way and look this way and act this way, by the way, we should have things like that. Does that automatically mean that they're right with God? 
No. Does everyone that you see on Sunday morning who puts on a suit, puts on a tie, puts in a Bible and smiles, does that mean they're right with God? No. You understand what we are trying to look for and what God is looking for is the heart. The heart. And that people are changed from the inside out. Josiah was a good king. But there's a difference between a good person and a godly person. We know that there are moral people out there. But there's a difference between moral people and godly people. We want people to be good people. Society tries, supposedly used to, to help produce good people. But we don't need good people as much as we need godly people. We need people that God has changed from the inside out. People that's made a decision, I want God. How does this show up? Well, you have people who say, I can't wait to read my Bible. I can't wait to be in church. I can't wait to be obedient to the Lord. I've got to tell others about what God has done in me. He's done such a change. It's a matter of the heart. The Bible talks about this even when raising children. That we're supposed to get a hold of our children's heart. You could have a child that's raised with rules. And obey the rules and not even fight the rules. But if you don't get a hold of their heart. As soon as the authority is gone. They don't care about the rules anymore. It's a matter of the heart. A matter of the heart. And that heart is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus. Following after Him. We know that there's many people who go into a a church like this. And they'll look around and say, "All right, is this what Christianity is about? Is it just read my Bible, stand up, sit down, sing songs? Is that all it's about? It is not. There's a matter of the heart. Some people say, why do you make such a big deal of reading your Bible? Because it's a matter of the heart. You mean, I can't, if I don't go to church, am I not a Christian? That's not what we're saying at all. Can people be saved and not follow after Christ? Absolutely. But following after him is a matter of the heart. One of the things we place an emphasis here is that we want revival. We want God to do something. And God can only do something when his people have their heart ready to obey. Not just their outside actions. There are many things out there like the Polar Bear Baptist Church. Where they do everything right. They stand up and they mumble some songs. They give as they should and they show up when they're supposed to. But there's no life. It's dead, cold, empty. They could be full up to the rim, but it's empty because God is not there. And they're missing something. And no wonder children grow up in a church like that and say, I don't want any of this. And they look at this and said, if this is what Christianity is like, I don't want it. And when they are able, they don't go to church anymore. They quit. Why? I wouldn't want to go there either. The idea that God wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with us. He wants to have something unique, something special with us. Something that's alive and something that's real. Again, we know a lot of churches that try to regulate standards. Standards are a good thing, but the standards are not the goal. God is the goal. 
Our goal is God. And God will change people the inside out. It is in my practice, my observation, my experience, that I don't really have to tell people how to dress if they're already looking to the Lord. They just automatically do what's right. I don't have to beg people to read their Bible if they're looking up to him. They automatically have a desire to do such things. It's easy to teach them because they want to know like Josiah. I want to read the book. Tell me what's next. Tell me what to do. Whatever it says, I'll do it. That's what happens when people give their heart to the Lord. That it's easy for them. You just tell me what to do and I'll do it. This is great. I just want to be pleasing to the Lord. Let's do that. Other than... I'll do it if I have to. Let's not get too crazy about this. Oh no, you're singing too loud now. We, just, we only sing in a mutter here. We've all been to churches like that. Where you're like, where's the joy of the Lord at? Are you guys even glad to be here? No, we're not. Then why are you here? Because I have to. I don't have to go to church. I get to come to church. I don't have to read my Bible. I get to read my Bible. We have something to be excited about. So when I say all of this, we're not talking about, do you keep the rules? Do you show up when you're supposed to? Are we, what we're asking you is, how's your heart? How's your heart? Is your heart warm to the Lord? Is it saying, I just want to be pleasing to Him. I want to have that relationship with Him. I don't I don't want just to do what I'm supposed to. I want to be with you. You're the goal. There is that difference. For Christians, we have liberty. The Christian life is not a list of do's and don'ts. The Christian life is all about following after him. And as you follow him, you will automatically do what is right. It is not a checklist. The Christian life is not, all right, did you read your Bible today? Did you pray today? Did you do this? Did you love your wife today? I don't have to have amazing thing. Just, you know, just a tip. I don't have a little sticky note on my mirror at home that says, don't cheat on your wife today. Why don't I need that list to tell me not to cheat on my wife? Because I love her. It's automatic. By the way, happy anniversary, honey. We automatically do what's right. If you fall in love with the Lord, you don't need a list of do's and don'ts. You just have to follow after God and you're willing to do what it takes to keep following after Him. Keeping your eyes on Him. It is a matter of the heart. Now again, historically, we look at Josiah and he's a good king. And he tried to pass laws. But you cannot legalize or legislate morality. You cannot change people's hearts by making more rules. However, when their heart is right, those rules are not a big deal at all. It's following after him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.